Hey, I'm Matthew Ma. Welcome to the Truth About Real Estate podcast. And today we're talking with Homeroom co-founder Michael Tish. Mike was recently added to Forbes 30 Under 30 and is now the co-founder and head of growth at Homeroom. He's elevating the Homeroom sharing concept to a new level using technology. Excited to talk to you, Michael. Thanks for being on our show. Uh, yeah, th- thanks, Matt. How's it going? Yeah, it's going great. Yeah, I really want to talk to you and you know learn more about you, what you do, and how you got into real estate. You know, you came from a tech background. You know, working at Airbnb, working at Facebook, and you know, you guys built out a homeroom. So, I really want to start off to like, what made you get into real estate? Um, yeah, yeah. So I um, really just started investing in it back when I bought my first primary house back in 2015. Uh, was like, oh, wow, like, this has been such a great investment back down in San Jose. So we uh, we were looking for more investment properties, right? So I uh, found this cool little three-bedroom that had a bit of an iffy backyard and did a lot of um, the construction work and um, everything to make it just, like, really nice, like, co-living space in San Jose. Um, so, yeah, it turned out being, like, a 5B, 5B, um, renting out by the room. We could just make a lot higher returns that way. So uh, that's how I personally got into it. I'm still looking for more like personal investments as well. But yeah. Nice. It's always a lot of fun to, you know, find more personal investments, get into real estate, yeah. start seeing the real value of, you know, being in real estate and yeah. how you can get that kind of like passive income with some active management. And then, you know, the things like um, house hacking and really building it up and seeing that wealth, because, you know, when you think about passive investing, you're creating wealth without really having to work, you're being able to sleep at night and, you know, make money. So, you know, you came from a tech background too. And you mentioned yeah. before. Like, personally, Airbnb. I don't think it's that much work to self-manage it, right? So like. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. closer. Right? I live like 20 minutes away. So anything goes wrong, I just like pop over there and like fix whatever needs to be done. It's usually not too bad. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just, uh, for example, the amount of work you c- is really correlated. Like the amount of work you're doing for it is really not that much for the amount you're really getting because it's mm-hmm. recurring residual income for a long time, right? So the work you do, yeah. but people feel overwhelmed. I don't want to change the toilet. I don't well, want to deal with the Bay Area things. doesn't really cash flow that well. Like like this place, it took me forever to find, and it like breaks even, right? So it's like, <laughs> um, but the appreciation's absurd. So there's pros and cons. So cash flow can be dependent. I found a lot of properties in the Bay Area the cash flow really well, but you yeah. really got to be really savvy buying yeah. it, knowing what you're getting into, and how much work you have to do upfront to get that number. But exactly, it's not yeah. an easy task. Four years but, ago, it was easy, or right. Yeah. Um, but like even then, right? Like, um, I think it was like a seven percent gross rate, right? Which is like slightly over break even. But it's mm-hmm. like, um, like now, good luck finding anything about five, right? So, um, <laughs> I found stuff in the seven still. But at the yeah, same yeah. time, we're still going to be doing a lot of work to exactly yeah. add value to it. But it's still in the high high numbers. Yeah. And then I think my highest one in the Bay Area is twelve. Oh, nice. Yeah. But that's yeah, not so, easy. To, it was not easy to obtain. It took time. Yeah. Yeah. We put in 11 offers over the course of like eight months and like just had to keep grinding it. And eventually you find something that people miss. Right. So, yeah. Uh, now, part of that too is really like, okay, looking in the barrier, looking out of state, looking at the numbers, seeing what makes sense exactly. for you guys and how to scale it up. So, let's talk about that too. You know, before you came into real estate, you worked at Airbnb, right? Like, how did you get into working at Airbnb? Yeah, so I was um, leading like growth marketing in this other smaller like YC startup at the time, okay. um, and it basically just completely went out of business. And then like I knew some people from that, made some connections at Airbnb, and like kind of referred me for a job there. Um, and then just like went through the whole interview process there. So uh, I was on the like host side of things, 
Um, my startup was actually doing like iPhone repair business technicians, work, but like the only part of that business that worked uh, was sourcing technicians. So it actually had a lot of parallels to what I did at Airbnb, which was just finding people that might want to invest and host it on the on that side of the business. Um, so did a lot of paid ads at Airbnb. We did a lot of like Facebook advertising. We did a lot of like um, random hacking stuff. Like we did like direct mail ads. We did um, a lot of like random Google stuff. Like there was a lot of like keyword stuff that was like really surprising that worked um like in all these like small scale things that kind of just added up right so um like what do you since since we're talking about that topic of growth hacking mm -hmm. and marketing when and you're doing all these different kind of experiments what do you find in that that really work what what part part of that technology and part of it helped with the marketing with the growth that you find useful for real estate yeah i think just understanding like who the customer is you're going after right and just like use over you run a bunch of different ads right and trying to come up with a story and a narrative behind like what that is right so one thing i've noticed with homeroom is like um the ads that work are like not like what you would expect, right? So like you can make very pretty brandy ads, but they don't usually work all that well. The ones that usually work is just showing people like real numbers, real data uh, around like okay, what our investors are seeing, right? Because like I, you know, numbers are pretty good and like especially for like how hands off it is um, in like some of these Midwest cities, right? That it's just like just show people like a really ugly Excel spreadsheet and like that just works better than anything else I've tried. So uh, yeah, that's kind of like, one major thing I've learned there is just understanding the customer. And like, if I didn't understand like, oh, like real estate investors are like mostly in like technical fields. They understand a lot of that hard data and really just want to see it. Like getting to that conclusion and being able to iterate on that can sometimes be difficult, right? So. And then when you're doing like, for example, you're looking for a specific clientele to work with investors and you're looking at the analytical side of, of the numbers and this is what they like to see. And, you know, when you start building, it up, building up your business, how did you like, what kind of, marketing you mentioned a couple of things like okay online marketing social media showing them the truth of the, the numbers and it doesn't have to look pretty and that works what else did direct mailing work did newsletters work did calling work what worked better um none of that other stuff really worked that well for us <laughs> so it's like um direct mail kind of wasn't um when i we tried it at airbnb even like you got some hosts but it just mm -hmm. didn't get like nearly the amount it needed for the cost uh, same thing with like LinkedIn and a few other more like high expensive touch channels. Like if you're, um, if we were selling like hundred thousand dollar luxury condos, yeah, maybe it would work for that niche. Uh, but most of the time at Airbnb, we were just trying to acquire like regular hosts that either had extra bedrooms or had maybe one or two investment properties. Uh, and it, like it just like the LTV wasn't high enough for what it was like for the cost, right? So um, ended up not that that didn't work all that well. Uh, mostly what worked was okay like re like referrals were huge right referrals was like almost as much as all of our paid marketing and Airbnb right like it was kind of huge um, like paid was decent right um, and then just like yeah just finding ways for people to get through that flow as quick as possible um, like exposing all the potential guests that maybe would have extra spaces to becoming hosts was like also like another huge channel that we had a whole like 10 person team on right of like where do you actually tell people about hosting? Where do you like send them emails when you send them push notifications, right? Like how can you automate like, oh, this person maybe is like looking, maybe looking at the host site or spending more time on some of those banner ads, right? Can we like do things like calling them up from like one of our international offices, right? So um, you're getting people on the phone is kind of what works at home, right? So like our entire marketing strategy is around like just getting people to talk to us, right? Because um, that is usually the only way people are going to like buy like an investment home with us. Right. So, um, 
the goal is just to get people to set up meetings. They'll talk to like either like our head of sales, like myself or uh, like Johnny, the CEO, right? So it's like, we're still a relatively small company and can provide like some decently personalized level of service there, so. Isn't that hard though? Think about it. like, for example, you came from Airbnb and then you guys built this company, but like if you're cold calling and talking to people, or even if it's a referral call, it's still harder because one is like, okay, I'm yeah. making a call, trying to get to know, you know, if they're picking yeah, up the we, phone. We really or... don't do cold calling much. It's okay. mostly like calling once they already have expressed interest in the whole business model, okay. right? Or like, we'll just actually have them go and set up a meeting directly with us, right? To be mm-hmm. able to make sure that they're like actually interested in the product, right? Because okay. Um, okay, so let's back it up from there. How did you guys first get them started to become interested to, to learn more? Um, yeah, so that's why we just like sometimes we'll just randomly on Facebook ads. We do things like podcasts, right? We do mm-hmm. things like write a lot of blog posts around it. We try to put a lot of information out there, right? And get, mm-hmm. get the get the worry out, like get the worry out of what Homer is doing and this type of thing. So, so um, do you find that like, even with all of that, pretty- like? Facebook is still like 70%, right? So so you think Facebook's still 70% of the way to build the online leads generation coming in? And why do you find that uh, really valuable? And even with today, for example, let's jump into today with, you know, OS, iOS 14, privacy, yeah. more privacy, less yeah. targeting. How do you find that working with Facebook ads? Yeah, um, so I mean, I think one thing that like um, Facebook is pretty good at just like, automatically like being pretty smart about trying to find people. Um, iOS 14 has definitely made it harder, especially when I worked at Facebook. It was like um, a massive issue of, okay, Facebook is just going to miss like a lot of conversions up to half sometimes, right? So it's like maybe your Facebook CPA is, like even if it is high, right? And you just break even on those CPA, like on the cost per acquisition there, right? Like maybe it's like $100, right, per meeting. Um, but you actually get some residual amount beyond that, right? So you'll get something like Facebook can track that we're pretty sure it comes from Facebook traffic. Because uh, like when Facebook traffic turns off, those also stop. So uh, we also ask people where they hear about us on every call, right? So we can usually gauge like, oh, Facebook is saying they only drive 40%, but it's probably closer to 70, right? So um, we do a lot of that. Like that's easy to do when you're relatively small, when you scale it, those type of models become increasingly harder to automate. Um, especially if Facebook's not 40% of your traffic, right? Like if they're not saying they're 40, if they're saying they're three, that's where it can become really hard, right? So like when I was at uh, Cameo, it was like very difficult to make those type of like decisions of how much it's actually driving. Um, we had some pretty sophisticated like media mix models to try to do that, but that's getting in very much into the technical details of digital marketing. So I don't know if uh, how much far down that rabbit hole would be interesting for your audience, but. Yeah, we can talk about that too. It's really, um, you know, like, okay, understanding client acquisition and how to really get, find the clients to work with and like, how are you targeting them? How do you help them? And how do they, you know, really once they start clicking on it and filling the forms, uh, there's different marketing scenarios. And I guess I want to ask is this too, like when you do a Facebook ad, are you guys doing like a form, a messaging? And then once they do that, like, what does a lead funnel kind of look like? And how does that kind of correlate versus like what Airbnb did, what people do at Facebook do, what people, general marketers do? And what do you find is kind of the best method for you guys? Yeah. So Airbnb was like fully automated, right? So you could just go and fully like pay ways your own listing, right? So they would never really ever talk to anyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the early days, it wasn't like that. Like in the early days, you had to like, like the founders of the company would call you and like get your listing set up for you because it like wasn't that easy to get it set up. Yeah. Um, but eventually, like over time, you slowly automate that process like a tech company, right? So right now it's still like a sales process is still pretty just manual and talking to people. Like eventually maybe we can have like, oh, people will directly talk to the agent, right? And we'll like 
he will immediately start sending you deals in a particular market, right? And those type of things to be able to like automate some of that. Um, but right now, yeah, our process is fairly long, right? So we'll go, if you will set up a meeting with us, um, then we'll set up a meeting okay, with the agent and the markets, market or markets you might be interested in, um, and then help you buy the house and then do all the construction work and then everything down funnel, right? So it's still a pretty relatively hands-on process. I don't know if it will be like five years from now, but um, yeah. So it takes a lot of time to, you know, really build a company, a tech company. And then at the same time, you guys are doing two different things. If you think about it, like one side's a business side and the tech side of building all the systems, processes, automations, yeah. uh, and resources with your team and trying to get rid of some of the manual labor to do, to do uh, better acquisitions quicker. And then yeah. the second side of it is really the real estate side, you know, buying real estate, investing, adding value, um, getting yeah. it rented out managing the financials on that side of things. So it's like a lot of work because you're running two yeah. different things at the same time. And well, they well really we don't want, we don't really buy the properties ourselves. Right. So that's kind of what yeah. we do definitely is we just, the investor side is what we partner with. Right. So mm -hmm. we're like, we let them take care of, okay. Like making sure we, we set them up with lenders and getting pre-approvals and make sure the finances work, but it is ultimately up to them to make sure that like the numbers work for them. Like we will run like some pretty complicated performers on all the properties we recommend and all that. Right. But, um, like generally it is on the investor to decide, okay, like, is this a good investment or do we want to like, do they want to buy this property or that property here? Um, we just want to be like a marketplace where, okay, this is where we can identify properties and make it easier for you to actually like turn them into a higher cash flow asset. Nice. And, you know, like while we're diving in, we're going to really want to start talking about the tech side and talk about the real estate side and the numbers and like figure out like, okay, how does it help? the investor really grow so for example when you guys were building this business up and you guys started focusing on acquiring investors to work with you guys you know and you have the marketing pieces you're talking you're doing a lot of referrals and you're also talking um in terms of like building out the digital marketing process of it the technology side of it how long did it take to start raising capital raise and working with investors running the numbers and showing them that, hey, realistically, buying this property, investing, renting it out, this makes sense. It makes better numbers than just general market doing it yourself. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think what we generally see is that when it comes to, like, yeah, self-managing, we will mm – -hmm. um, I personally self-manage my properties, right? It's relative – like, I like doing that um, in my local area. I don't know when I try to go out of town, right? Like it can become pretty difficult to just manage some of those things. And it's just like finding someone to repair things in the middle of the night, right? It can be a bit of a pain. So that's where like, uh, what we've noticed with homeowners is it just becomes very difficult for people to remotely invest, right? So, um, and like sometimes just finding a trusted property manager on the ground can be difficult, especially if you don't already invest in that market. Um, so we just want to be like a one-stop platform to find and to be like a trusted partner in each one of these markets, so. Yeah, and then sense. when you're working with investors, you know, the same, same principles come into mind. Okay. There's a lot to deal with. Like, like you just mentioned working with other vendors and services and like, even for you guys, like how are you guys helping these owners coordinate that work or are you just helping with the rental side of things? Uh, yeah. So we help coordinate the entire process, right? So everything from like uh, finding the property, purchasing the property, doing the construction work, and then eventually getting it rented. Um, is that manually or... where we do a lot of value add, right? So we'll have a construction partner in each major metro we work with. Mm -hmm. um, we'll also do like the design work, right? So we'll say, okay, like 
it's currently now a three bedroom, two bathroom. We think, okay, we can rent for a bunch more. We turn into a six bedroom. Here's exactly where you'll put the walls. Here's how the construction company should do that. Um, and we have like a lot of experience to do that relatively quickly. Right. And like, um, before the like property even closes, we'll have all those type of things planned out. So. And, you know, with that in mind too, like, are you guys running a, in your platform, running systems and processes in, in the platform where vendors can connect with yourselves, with your team, with the owners, status, give them statuses, updates, everything on it and, you know, work with all the different kind of providers and make it yeah, simple exactly. as possible? So- we um we generally it's still a relatively manual process on that side of the business right now, but we do have a um, people can enter in okay like what are the repairs to that given month on a given property and we work with the owners right there with for those type of things. Um, yeah, um, a guy named Billy from like he he just joined us in mind. He was like he's been managing that whole process of okay like how do we organize the construction teams, um, and share those that information as soon as possible with the owner. Right, so it's still like um. It's not 100% software driven on that side yet, but I think like it is the vision of the company that we can use a lot of software to just make all parts of this like experience um, a lot better. So nice. And then you know, for example, how much time is the owners really putting in uh, when there's when they're helping with everything? How much time are they putting into everything they're doing versus them doing it themselves? Um, yeah, so doing it yourself, I mean, it'd be quite a bit of work, right? So you'd have to like. Okay, put up the walls, find the construction company, do the design work, and then like doing all the leasing, right? So some of our um, metros, it's like not ridiculously hard to find tenants, but it's definitely harder than it is in like the Bay Area. Um, mm-hmm. So we have a team of like international people that help us list on like 27 different platforms. We automate a lot of that process, right? So we want to make it go from like, okay, this is like a part-time job to like maybe like, I don't know, like yeah. an hour a week of just like, you you barely even think about it, so. Um, nice and then how many properties do you guys currently um or how many investors are you currently working with or how many properties are you working with right now um yeah it's around like 120 130 properties about 80 to 90 investors so far um growing pretty quickly right so a year ago we were at 30 right so it's been like a pretty like um like the growth has been accelerating for us quite quite quickly um yeah and we'll always look after okay more people that might want to potentially invest right and like even if it's not in one of our target markets like we've been we've gone from like two to three markets to seven now so um and we're launching two or three more in the next like month right so um there's a market people might be interested in potentially like partnering with yeah feel free to reach out so which markets are you currently in right now which uh seven um, which ones yeah, did you start with first actually we started in austin kansas city and dallas uh, we okay. just added on Indianapolis and Pittsburgh. Um, we are launching Tampa and they like, like basically the next few days and we launched San Antonio maybe about six months ago. So, And I know some of the audience would ask you too, like how did you identify those specific markets and like why? Yeah. So we looked at people, markets that had generally a high level of, okay, people moving in and out of them just because that usually makes it a lot easier to find uh, existing tenants. We also looked for people like that have a good amount of like young people living there. Um, so just because like, I target and growth is like 18. Yeah. Those are the main two, like your yeah, population growth rate, especially in young populations and just immigration data. And then uh, media income levels going up too. Um, I mean, I think that's not as important for us, right. Just because like our tenants are people that can only need to be able to afford like a five or $600. Total, right. So it's like, um, we don't, we, we don't go in like, we don't really compete with like the section eight level, but we're like only like one level above that. Right. So they don't need, need to be making absurd levels of income. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. Nice. Which also opens up like a lot of markets for us, right? So our competitors are mostly in like the tier one markets, um, mm-hmm. which is just really expensive to buy real estate there, right? So like w- what we do is we open up the ability for you to take that model and actually get a higher return out of it in some of these tier two or tier three markets. Um, they might not have some of the like very high level of income. So. And then when you start, first started out, you think about, okay, you added the first five properties and you had 10, 20, 30. Did you run into any issues scaling it up and owners, like how are, how are, how are they doing? And then like, how are the numbers looking as you guys grow with the business? Um, yeah, there's always like um, scalability issues, right? Especially in like the winter months, right? December and January are always like difficult to find tenants, right? So it's like um, we managed to hold pretty good at like having like about a 92% occupancy rate across our properties, but it's like, um, nice. like it was looking like during the summer, we'd be able to hit like almost a hundred, right? So it's like, it can be frustrating sometimes of like, oh, it drips a little bit. We just have to like hold one and try to do it. Like this is part of like just being really happy to find tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been pretty good at being able to scale some of this, that, that up, right? Just because like we, we have such a large international global team to just, help us list on all these different types of places, right? So um, if people are looking, they will almost always see us, right? So Good. And, you know, it's different, similar, but different than Airbnb. But, like, you know how Airbnb, they grew really fast, rapidly. It's, like, you know, a unicorn too, right? And uh, for you guys, Homeroom, you guys are building it up and scaling. Do you guys find it pretty parallel to Airbnbs, but at the same time you're doing renters rather than um, guest hosts? That's the goal. I mean, we... Um... I don't know if we're going as fast as Airbnb right now as, as they were, but well, we're, they started a different time period. Uh, I mean, like they were growing, like they were almost doubling every month, right? Like we're growing mm-hmm. like up like 30% every month, which is still like a lot. Right. But like, it's not like um, absurd levels of growth. Right. But like, I think yeah. we'll eventually like, it, we do see it accelerating quite a bit. Right. As we import new hosts and or new, or new investors. Right. So. Yeah. And I think during the time with COVID too, the hard part about it is to, um, you know, finding enough resources, enough vendors, enough materials, the cost, um, the shortage of everything makes it so much harder. But the fact is people still need to live no matter, you know, and they need to rent. That's where we saw our business actually start going up, right? Because I think we saw like investors, like it just became a much harder problem. Like before COVID, maybe it was like a little bit easier to manage some of these things. Um, and we just saw a lot more interest from investors of just like, oh, maybe there's a service that like, oh, you pay a little bit more, but they can just manage this whole like much more difficult process, right? So yeah, um, yeah. COVID was weird for the industry, right? Like it, it, for three months, it was like really, really bad. Um, and like eight of the people, eight of the like co-living companies went out of business, right? And like, well, it wasn't that many to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, it really just kind of took off like for us. Like, I mean, I don't know if it did for our competitors, but like for us, it's like, it really took off like maybe three or four months later. So nice, nice. And then, you know, when you guys started scaling the from 30 and up, you know, I'm sure as a business owner, you got to hire a lot of workers to help. You got to manage all these new properties now, manage all these investors, manage the financials, manage the tech side, the vendor side, and then the um, tenant side. How do you guys handle that challenge? And like, how do you recommend people who are growing their business, you know, really um, lean in and like grow with, grow with the growing pain of things? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so Johnny, as I said, I was kind of part-time just running all the growth channels for the last year, right? I think Johnny dealt with that much more than I did, like I see, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think just hiring good people and just making sure you trust them to do their job, right? So we hired some like really good people to run the operations part, to run the leasing section of the business, right? To run the 
um, like the sales side and the top of funnel, right? So being able to trust them to do their jobs there is kind of the most important thing. So nice, yeah. that's true. Yeah, it's always about having the right team to really grow the business because once you find the right people mm-hmm. to work with, it makes it so much easier because you can trust, depend on them, and they can share their expertise in the areas to help it grow. Yeah. Well, it's just like oh, we're also just so busy that we kind of have to. <laughs> so yeah. What did you guys do on the tech side of things to grow yeah. from thirty up to a hundred plus? Um, yeah, so we we just brought on like a CTO to sort of really accelerate some of that. Um, mm-hmm. But like to be honest, not like we were able to, to grow without that much being on the tech side to start. Um, we obviously do a lot of to, like we identify properties, right, and finding like really, like what property makes sense from like an ROI perspective. We'll check pretty much every house that comes in the market and like the target areas we're looking to find new investors. Um, so that's kind of the, like the first thing there. Um, we've like have a new website for the leasing side of the flow, right? So we have like, okay, the, like, a very Airbnb style website and Airbnb style checkout flow. Um, the ability to just like book a lease online or like very easily. Um, so there's a lot of tech pieces that have just really come online in the last like two months that have helped out a lot of just like, okay, how can we just make this like a product from a tech perspective? Right. So, um, it's kind of definitely our next stage of growth now from where we go from like, okay, like 100 to 1,000, right? That's where we're like, we're going to have to lean even more heavily in some of those tech pieces to automate some of that. So it's kind of, it's nice because like for me, I'm a tech guy too. And I love the the tech side of things because when I think about it, you know, simplicity is the, the hardest thing to do. Make it so simple and easy to use like Apple or like Ikea, for example, right? Yeah. Try to make it simple so anyone can do it, but do it fast like Amazon. Like, you know how you think about instant gratification nowadays like amazon one click i can buy this thing it'll be in my house in an hour that's crazy imagine that the logistics behind it and the technology behind it to make that happen is probably not it's not as simple as most people think it is but it's crazy how well they can do it that way yeah exactly yeah so like for example we just like launched um yeah one second i can share my screen real fast yeah um yeah we, we so we just launched this new website like last like maybe actually i think it was like two or three weeks ago right so basically for the mostly for the tenants right so you can uh very easily just enter in okay your zip code you can see okay the different type of properties that we have available um you can kind of zoom in on the market we're still trying to improve like the auto zooming functionality but um it's very much like okay, airbnb style interface right so it's like okay this house has like maybe three beds three beds available right so um yeah we like most we have a lot of houses in kansas city right so like most are fully booked but uh, we also have the most availability there and like the yeah, Dallas it's like there's a lot that they're fully booked in the, the central Dallas area we have a few still left in like like this one only has one room out of maybe like six or seven right so um yeah it's like we're doing a lot to actually okay how do we just like find more houses in some of these areas that we're renting out like really really quickly um yeah like if you check Austin I believe there'll be nothing there um, <laughs> nice that's good you rent it all out quickly Oh yeah, it just it just airs out. So like literally, Austin has like every house like completely full. So um, yeah. So too, like when you think about this too, and that on the real estate side of things, you have these properties, and you're helping these investors with the properties and finding the tenants. Are you guys also help? You're outsourcing, um, for example, photography, videography, three D floor plans. But at this at that price point, it might be a little different in the sense of how do you how much services you guys provide and uh, what can what do people do to really market the property let's talk about the, talk about the listing side of things how does that work um so like how we actually market the property from like a listing perspective yeah how you mean 
Um, yeah, so this is where we'll like we'll work pretty closely. Just okay, we'll list it pretty much everywhere, right? So there's like one thing we've noticed in like places like Dallas, Kansas City, is there's not like one major channel. Eventually, mm -hmm. for like for finding these type of co-living places, um, we would eventually would like to be that channel eventually. But for the time being, we just list them pretty much everywhere. So we'll list on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, like Roomster, Zillow, like pretty much like literally every every site we can find, okay. uh, like. It's like micro Facebook groups and you've like, we have like list, like there's a lot of stuff we do there to just like list it everywhere. So, um, so one thing you think about that too, is like top one only brings in like 10% of our leads. Right. So I think um, for me, like I find that Zillow brings in the most leads for rental leasing, at least like Zillow right, has the yeah. dominant. Apartments, yeah. But for like co-living, it can be like, there's a, it's just a lot more long tailed in co-living, right? Where like yeah. apartment living, I feel like like apartments.com, Zillow or like kind of two of the largest ones there. But yeah. But the good thing about what you're doing too, if you think about it, you're you're technically building backlink channels back to your main website because you're putting your site everywhere. And at the same time, you're building, you're targeting certain demographics and people and in those channels and groups. And then when they find your website, it starts becoming becoming a household name over over time because you guys are always there in, and you're doing all these different markets. So hopefully by that chance, the referral business comes in, the backlinks yeah, come yeah. in. Get, yeah, back well, SEO is always a tough one for me. Um, like SEO with Airbnb on the host side, it was almost non-existent just because mm -hmm. like very few people are searching for like rent my house, right? So like um, like if that's just not a thing people search for, there's not mm -hmm. that much you can do on the SEO side, right? Like like SEM, we can get a little bit like ridiculous, right? So mm -hmm. we can build it on like rent my house on booking, right? <laughs> or like literally like go directly after competitors or go like, things that wouldn't even make sense, like like Google login or something for some reason was one of our like random keywords. Cause like maybe if they're like a company administrator, they had extra room in their house and they want to rent it out. Like there was a lot of like random stuff and good for Google SEM. Um, but we're never going to like rank on that for SEO. Right. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know the goal is especially on the tenant side to be able, like, I think that's where it is like a huge thing, right. Of like, okay, how do we like, build out pages, build out content, and like eventually get the backlinks there for, for a lot of those subpages. So let's talk about that too. So yeah. how do you guys define, like what's SEM for people who don't know what's SEM and like, how do you guys yeah. utilize SEM to grow? Um, yeah. So uh, simplified SEM is basically just like running Google ads. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just those advertisements you see at the top of like the Google search results um, or on like mobile, it's now like the entire first page. Um, so it's like, it can be a lot. Um, so a lot of it is okay, like identifying keywords that people might be potentially interested in. So everything from like, um, like property managing related keywords, or like looking for people looking for maybe investment opportunities or those type of things. Uh, and there's a lot of keywords in those different sub segments that make a lot of sense. Okay, so for example, search engine marketing, like, do you find that Facebook ads do better or Google ads do better cost per lead, which is cheaper? Um, well, if you like, if you include the like branded search, Google's gonna be better, but like um, getting into like, okay, like is that actually incremental, right? Where like if people are searching for homeroom, like maybe they most likely will find us anyway. Um, maybe not because our SEO is kind of iffy. So we only show up at like the bottom of the first page. Um, whereas like if you're Airbnb, like you're gonna tap the first like five like mm -hmm. SEO links, right? So you'll get the top five organic links. So it just like, it very rarely will make sense to just pay for those ads because um, the customers are just going to come in via that organic link anyway. Um, there's a lot of famous studies from like Amazon, eBay that have done a lot of testing there. 
Um, there's a reason Netflix doesn't pay for it. And that they usually might go to um, when it comes to like digital marketing. Um, but like non-brand is usually decently incremental, right? So people searching for like cool vacation spots in X city or like cool places to live in X city or like co-living in X city or like all, there's a lot of stuff there potentially on the tenant side, um, especially around like the city name, right? So uh, if your SEO is really good, then your SEM will become less incremental over time. It is something we learned at Airbnb, right? So like um, once you actually start ranking for some of these keywords, uh, like you just don't need to pay for them really much anymore. Um, nice. And, and like I... being, being able to monitor that over time can be tricky. So we, we get a lot of very complicated models at Airbnb that tried to do this of like monitoring SEO performance and certain keywords and estimating incrementality of various things. Um, it was complicated. Um, I don't know. Like the CEO basically complained in like at one um, investor meeting that said it was like that we weren't doing it that well. I thought we were doing very like a pretty good job at it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like us making sure we are incremental, I think a lot of it is just like COVID changes so much, right? So it's just like all your assumptions that went into those models before COVID just don't really hold. Um, so you have to like rerun those tests, and like shockingly, the numbers are going to be very different, right? So um, yeah, I think as the work comes out of COVID, it might make more sense again. But yeah, I think it's very interesting the way marketing can work and how you can really generate a lot of a lot of business and define those through analytics is a lot it's a lot of fun actually i think that's probably the funnest part of things driving that but of course i know it's also a lot of work and most people most businesses especially small businesses and small investors don't have the time to do all that work yeah but it's well, interesting that's why it's like we are doing it for all of our investors right and both on the manual mm-hmm. side and everything else right like and we don't charge significantly more than like a lot of normal property managers right so a lot of like the automation work is to keep some of those costs low um, like some of our advisors want to like, oh, you only charge like 15% total, right? Like don't property manager charge first month rent and 10%. It's like even slightly more than you guys. And like a lot of our pushback has been like, we want to keep costs low for the investors and we don't like nickel and diming people, right? So we're very transparent of like, okay, we don't charge charge lease up fees. We only charge like one simple fee each month, right? So um, the number may look a little bit higher, but generally all in, like our costs are pretty comparable, so. Yeah, what, I think when I look at that too, from a business perspective and investor, I would just look at a, like a matrix. Okay, here's me, self, solo, everything I do. Here's a property manager, everything they do and how much they charge me for that their services, such as the first month's rent, such as an, um, monthly property management fees, vacancy fees, or anything else. And then how does home room charge? And the bottom line for me is what's the net number, right? And then if you can give me a, a higher uh, rental rate and your costs yeah. is a similar and I'm netting more money, then it doesn't matter. It's more not so, okay, I need to build trust. The yeah, first question to me was, um, I talked to a lot of different co-living companies and uh, rental companies. The first question is what happens when you go out of business? If you do, then mm-hmm. what happens yeah. to my leases, the master lease, things like that? Yeah. Then, you know, if um, they can't explain it, then it's okay. Yeah. And then the next well, question- Well, you, you basically be, inherit the lease. So it's, it's, not, it's not a great, like, we hopefully that will never happen, right? So mm-hmm. we have a lot of funding, right? And like runway to make sure that never happens, right? So we like, we're pretty lean as a company. Um, we have almost a million dollars in cash, right? That we like aren't really spending, right? Just to try to maintain some of that confidence and stability there. Just because like, uh, it is not a great situation when co-living companies go out of business and some of our competitors have, right? So yeah. Um, I mean, a part I of it is like, yeah. If other people were using a competitor, I think that's one of the things that like, oh, we can, theoretically take on some of those leases but yeah 
Um, so that's a good thing because the, the goal is this, like as an investor, most, I would say some investors, they don't want to be active. They want passive and they want their time back. But at the same time, they want to know their property, their investment is in good hands with someone they can trust and like, and that they're, yeah. they'll do right. Because I've seen some, yeah. I used to manage a lot of properties too, but I've seen some before where some companies would just nickel and dime everything. And some of them don't even make sense. Like you're charging that much for that little work. And you know, you, yeah. you came in a period of month, you came like three or four times and charged for all those fees, then it just becomes ridiculous versus some companies are like, try to be more fair, better price, sometimes, sometimes better services, but at the same time they get too busy and now they can't manage as well because they're scaling too quickly. So there's a balance and you got to pay for that balance. You get what you pay for. If you paid for really low, you know, the service is going to be pretty bad. And it's it's tough as management Um, is tough to make money from it too. Especially trying to find the remote side of the business. Right? Like we don't make like a fortune on the remote management side of the business, right? So it's like a lot of it is just like, okay, like we just make try to make as much money and like pay like just the raw rental fees there and like the uh, the agent side of the business as well. But yeah, for sure. Uh, exactly. And then, you know, during this time period too, I think I, when I look at the business, okay, imagine Homeroom has a really good, nice, easy website that's easy to track my properties all the ones i own as a investor i know what yeah. they're doing i'm getting status updates like you know, monthly or quarterly regarding the property and what they're mm-hmm. doing and when it looks good it feels good it's running really well and it becomes more of a portfolio rather than a emotional investment it just becomes my, my real estate portfolio that's doing yeah. well and i know is being managed well then mm-hmm. it feels good but at the same time on your end it's a lot of work to yeah. do that to make it look so simple so easy and like yeah the, uh, yeah we definitely are working on the automated reporting side of the piece it's like one of the major feedbacks of like okay we definitely need some of that mm-hmm. um I think in the next maybe like month or two, we'll have something like fully rolled out. Right now, it's just like we just send people monthly updates because it's like, mm-hmm. well, there's only like 120 houses. We can still do that, right? So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like as it grows, that's where we're going to have to be like, okay, like more self-service tooling, automated emailing, other things. So, yeah. Nice. And then, you know, talking about COVID and talking about everything, like why did uh, those other companies close down? Um, yeah, so I think one part of it was on the mass. So we don't sign any master leases. So the master leases were kind of one issue, right? So the companies that have had to like take on a lot of the losses, mm-hmm. um, most, like, most of our investors, so we have, we do offer a master lease, right? But we, most of our investors are on just revenue share agreements, but we basically act as a property manager. Um, but we do off for every like lease we'll sign with a, um, agreement we sign with the investor. Uh, we will include any amount, like a guaranteed amount that they can pick. Um, if they don't want to go with the higher like uh, property management type model. So um, yeah, a lot of them just like kind of had short-term cash flows issues. They were in a lot of these tier one markets. And I think what we've seen a lot is like when you're in those tier one markets, a lot of people with COVID sort of went to some of the, like moved out um, a lot more than what necessarily happened in Kansas city and some of the tier two and tier three markets. But yeah. Yeah. Because as a, as an investor, when you look at, look at it and i was looking at a lot a lot of master leases you know you see like for example there's big companies like star city bungalow yeah. there's your company well, and there's star other city ones. doesn't exist anymore but yeah <laughs> see see and it, yeah. they look really good right you know before when yeah. you looked at their model it looked really amazing yeah. like everything they're doing but at the same time like can you sustain it that long and what you're doing is yeah. that that's a high growth high risk and really quick and yeah. like bungalow's model um your model and other companies models and yeah. like some of them I saw. Yeah, I was just talking to John from Star City maybe like mm. a week ago, and we were always just talking about the business and how we can like make sure we try to avoid some of the like going too overboard on like the 
like the mega complexes. That's why mm -hmm. we mostly tried to focus on like, okay, like, can we just get the single family rental and get that model really working uh, yeah. before trying to get into like some very different form factors, right? So. Yeah. And I agree too. I think you're, I think you're on the right track because when you go for single family homes, you're going for like easy, quick hitters that work, that have, have sustainability. And, you know, people always want that when you go big, you know, it's, you go big or go home. Right. And it's, it's hard yeah. to yeah. Uh, sustain that, especially with, especially COVID. with COVID when you have to like, if you're in San Francisco and like you need people paying quite a bit in rent, right. Each month, right. To like mm -hmm. justify some of those upfront capital and investments, right. Where like, um, I average rents like 450 bucks a month, right? Like um, it's easier to replace a lot of those tenants. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think some of some of the other different models I saw too, where it's like, oh, okay, we'll take this percentage and we'll do a split, like a 70-30 split, for example, on profits. Yeah. But the problem yeah. becomes, okay, how, how, when you, from investor standpoint, how actively are you going to be watching my best interest and your best interest and finding the right tenant versus finding the right tenant to, for today who will just pay you? And then, you know, at the end of the day, am I really netting more money and taking more taking more risk or less risk? And I felt yeah. like some of them felt like, okay, I'm taking more risk for the same money. I might as well just do myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if you are, if you have good local investments, right, I feel like that's where it's like, oh, like I do a lot of it myself anyway, right? Just because I don't mm -hmm. think it's like, uh, if you're close, it's not like a ridiculous lift, right? Mm -hmm. uh, at, least what I, at least what I found when I was COVID, when I like left and went, went back east coast for six months it became a little bit of a nightmare to manage so yeah um, and like my tenants hated me and like a few people moved out and i had to like constantly fly back here and like manage the thing and it was just like not hands off anymore um but like when i'm living here right like something like i need to find a new tenant i just post a listing like it's like also the bay area is kind of absurd when it comes to finding tenants right like mm -hmm. i make a facebook marketplace post and i'll get like 50 messages in like two days right so um that doesn't necessarily, I mean, like, I know that doesn't happen in like Dallas or Kansas City. It, like, it, I mean, that happens in Austin, but not like not, not that much in other markets. But yeah. Yeah. And I think part of that too, like, you know, for me, I do active investments, but I still like, like the passive. And the reason I choose yeah. more passive nowadays, just because, you know, family, kids, time, yeah. I want the time back more than anything, more than the money. So I want the time and freedom, yeah. the real freedom. Right. And the part of it too is, okay. Yes, I can do it all, but at the same time, is it worth the time? Is it the effort or even the stress of it? As a as a as an experienced investor, it's fine to do it, but as a new investor, you might not want to handle all these things that you don't or feel comfortable with yet. Mm -hmm. And the next part of it too is like, yes, I can do that, but it's better use of my time to keep scaling, to find more property, to invest more, to make more money, to invest more actively doing that side of things to grow. Because if I'm busy doing all this you know, administrative stuff, I'm losing this time that I can use it to grow my businesses, my investments. Yeah, so that's sure. where like other companies come in to, into play, such as you guys and other companies, because, Hey, yeah. you can offload all this stuff. We do all the work yeah. for you. We analyze it for you. We show you the numbers. We do all the services, connect you with the vendors, the right vendors, uh, hopefully who don't charge you too much. And yeah. then we give you a better return, hopefully. Yeah. So it's yeah, that's like the, uh, the main goal there too, especially like, I think one thing we do differently is in like, we just try to do a lot of value add on the co-living side, right? So if um, if you can make 50% more rent, right? Like even if you overspend, maybe like two or 3% on the purchase price, right? Like, um, like you'll make that back pretty quickly just from the higher rent numbers, right? So um, one thing I think we try to tell a lot of our investors is just like the markets can get kind of crazy sometimes, right? So just mm -hmm. try to be like, put in competitive offers, don't try to live all too much, right? And like, um, 
because the goal is to make like a lot of it coming out of it, right? Rather than like trying to save $5,000 on like the purchase price. Um, mm -hmm. As a personal investor, I'm like not great with that. Um, I'm like the type of person that always likes to try to save as much as possible when I do my personal investments. But yeah, uh, but yeah. And that's normal in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. So in later, you okay, well, I just did it myself. Oh, my, Man, my, my, uh, myself. My, 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 my agents don't love me. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah. Like I, I had to hire some, some five me as a client. Like I like that like my, during my last house search, it was like, it was like there would be one like, oh, it listed for a million, and I went off like eight hundred thousand in the Bay Area, right? Yeah, and they're like, fine, let's just waste fifteen minutes of my time. <laughs> but that's like how we got a place, right? Because like I ran the numbers in a place, and it's like, oh, it's at one three, and I want to offer like one three three, and like, oh, like maybe that does make sense, right? Um, yeah. If like the place has some issues that like other investors are scared of, right? So, um, but. But that's the fun part of it too. Like as like as a real estate agent, like I work with different types of people and different personalities. Yeah. I understand, you know, there's super analytical people, there's emotional people, there's people in between it. And yeah. investing inside, it's all about numbers. So I know even if you're writing an offer, sometimes it might work. You don't know unless you try. And sometimes yeah. even if I tell you what it's really worth, it might you might be able to get a better deal on it and just becomes based on terms sometimes like even yeah. today i got another one closing next week we got a probably 75 under under market value because the terms yeah. made more sense for the seller and for our buyer and we negotiated quickly but we understand what we're getting into even yeah. as a newer buyer because they know the market's hot but you can yeah also I, i've especially seen some of the stuff like fly homes right of just being able mm -hmm. to like easily offer like cash equivalent offers and these other type of things of like yeah trying to make that doable um yeah, because there's different types of sellers too, right? Not all sellers just want the highest price. Some of them want different things that you don't, you might not know unless you ask. Yeah, one of my, um, this was back in 2015, and like I lost out on the place just because like, um, like my offer was like fifty thousand dollars higher, and they took a lower one just because it was all cash. And like, I don't know, I kind of got kind of got angry at the like the seller's agent from that one just because like, uh, I also like had done all the real estate classes and put in my own offer sometimes, so it's like. Uh, yeah, I don't understand some sellers sometimes, but whatever. <laughs> it's, price, it's price and it's terms. And even if yeah. one is this, okay, you give me a. Well, like, I'm completely non contingent, right? Like, I'm like yeah. already like waving all the terms, right? Like, like, mm -hmm. like, I don't know what you want. Like, I don't know. Like, it's, technically, like, it's still not guaranteed, but yeah. you're, 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 you have a safer bet because it's non contingent. Yeah. At the same yeah. time, I know if you don't perform, you still can fight me for it, right? So right. Cash exactly. offer yeah. has no, shouldn't have any. Oh, of course, chance. right? But like, I don't know, like $50,000 is a lot of money though, right? Like, yeah. um, like I get that for like 20 grand. I thought like, you think for 50 people would at least like be willing to wait two weeks, right? But yeah. It's not, but, and it's not like cash offers go away. They're usually still there. So. No, they're, <laughs> they're still they're still here. Even in the 2008, even now, they're still here and they're not going exactly, away. Yeah. It just yeah. different volume of it. But yes, yeah. I get it and I see it. Yeah. And we do win with cash offers and not everyone can oh, no, like that, That's what we learned if we just like, found some hacky workarounds where like oh if the like seller's agent really wants a cash offer we'll just we'll do that but it's gonna be like well like significantly less because the interest rate can get absurd but yeah, yeah. but we um, see cash offers at the significantly higher price point too yeah so those well, are those are fun too well i just ignore those houses i, I just refuse to get involved in bidding wars with people that have infinite money <laughs> so Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's the point of it too. Like, okay, you just bid 150K over the market value. Everyone agrees, but you got it 
congrats to you and I that's mean, like, what you're, good you job need. like that's, i don't know, like terrible investment okay <laughs> that's fine yeah and yeah. some of it's not investment it's just their yeah. personal home and they don't care yeah. they're going to be here yeah. for the next 20 30 years it doesn't matter and, and yeah. they're still going to make money because you think about yeah. the market even in the last two years the market went up yeah. like crazy there was no reason to go down yeah yeah my, my, my wife and i don't think of it that way but i get it so yeah yeah, and that's just has to do with net migration and people, and then you know income levels in the area where they want to be at in schools, right? So that's yeah, a part that's, of it too. Oh yeah, so, we were my wife and I have been thinking of moving to like the good school district in the Bay, and we just have completely given up just because like we're just like the, there is no way to do that without overpaying. So we're just eh, whatever, it's fine. Okay, um, we could talk about that, and really, for yeah. example, we can show you some examples based on your criteria and what makes sense. And it, it's really yeah. hard, but there is yeah. opportunity to be found. You got to find it and have yeah, the right. Yeah, it's just, so little inventory in like the good school districts in California. That just like makes it so hard sometimes. Like we're like, yeah, the not good school districts. I feel like there's a lot, right? So like, there's, like there's at least enough where I can put in an offer every week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, other ones are houses in Palo Alto for less than like five million dollars. Well, <laughs> it's like, and I want to pay two and a half. Like, there's just not, yeah. there's not, there's not much within the price range, right? So, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that. We'll f- show yeah, you yeah. some examples. Show you some examples. Yeah. But yeah. you know, going back to this too. Okay, how have the investors been uh, performing? And then are they? They're just getting paid monthly, quarterly, or how's that work? Yeah, so paid monthly. Um, okay. Yeah, like it's been going pretty well, right? Because our commitment mm-hmm. rate's pretty high. We don't charge an absurd amount, right? Like our um, NPS figures are like pretty good in like the 30 plus range for a lot of our investors, right? So we uh, always try to constantly monitor some of that, right? We um, They can always reach out if they have any questions, right? We don't have like an absurd amount of them, right? Where we like can't provide some like the personalized service. So, mm-hmm. um, And how about leases? Are you guys using standard leases, lease agreements in the Bay Area or you got in other cities yeah. too? Or are you guys using custom leases and any issues um, that you Leases answer? with the tenants or? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty standard leases. It's, um, we would generally have like, it's usually a year plus leases. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are, we're pretty reasonable with like that type of thing, right? So we do like the background checks. We do some like rough credit checks and income verification to make sure they have like a decent job. Um, we don't go too overboard, right? So if you're like, they have a lot of income, we're usually pretty flexible sometimes on the credit score, but that's usually pretty rare in places like Kansas City, right? So, yeah. Um, Rough guidelines we try to give to like invest tenants is like okay like six hundred ish plus credit score or like a pretty strong income right so mm-hmm. uh, or like a lot of cash savings right like each person's a little bit different but um, and a part of that too like when you look at leases and everything you got you know look at different loca- locales and like different restrictions requirements uh, yeah. additional disclosures and putting this all together yeah. but when you're doing it mul- across multiple um, cities and states it gets a lot more mm-hmm. tricky and then I guess part of your system would be mm-hmm. to have this in, in place for each area knowing your major factors to deal with exactly yeah like all the leasing agreements are all generally standardized based on the individual markets right so we'll mm-hmm. just have people like they can automatically like once they apply we'll relatively automatically approve the application and then send them like a lease agreement right so it's pretty mm-hmm. that's that part's pretty automated on that side of the business nice um, yeah and the parts that aren't with a large globalized team to like help lower the cost on that front so that's that's good. Yeah, because nowadays you think about it, everything can be done pretty much online now. Like, okay, you can yeah. do application online, you can pay online, you can ACH online, you can DocuSign all your lease agreements online. It can exactly, be it can yeah. look really user friendly and the experience. All my personal tenants came by Venmo, right? Like yeah. It's, yeah. Venmo's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. You know, Venmo you gotta be careful that they're paying you, but of course you give them your phone number, your last four, and then they pay, they can right. Venmo you. 
And now, yeah, yeah even today, Venmo it doesn't really work with Homeroom that well because you have to like match it up correctly. We haven't figured that out quite yet. At some point, maybe but, like personally, it's easy, right? Just because like I know my, I only have five tenants, so yeah, um, like first of the month, I can just go through manually and check five, right? So, but um, you still have to manage that. For example, as an investor, yeah. you're still managing your Venmo. Like, did I remember to check? I got paid all five people, and did they remember to pay me? Oh what yeah, my uh, my, my my wife just like bothers me the first or second of the month of like yeah check it up we get all the money today and like then i just go through and check and like and then if not yeah. then i have to send people text messages and like call them and like um because most people just forget is what i've noticed yeah um like they don't like actively not pay you unless like something's seriously wrong yeah um and like i try to have a personal relationship with my tenants so like at least they would be comfortable like telling me if something's wrong um but like yeah it's like a company that can become kind of harder and harder to scale and do remotely so yeah yeah when i think about that too it's like you know most people use um apartments.com or zillow for the property management because it's free it used to be cozy owned by google ventures um which apartments.com bought it but the fact mm. that you can do ach payments directly they can pay through debit cards they can pay through the credit card with a fee and it yeah. just you know they set up automatically so it's monthly coming in and you know you can see all the pnls on it and they can even yeah. do maintenance requests. So another good thing with the yeah. provider is like maintenance requests. If they have maintenance requests, yeah. they can put their comments in. They can take pictures. Yeah. They can leave messages and you can see yeah. it and you can respond back. So you have tracking like a log saying, yeah, yeah. you told me about this. I actually fixed it the next day. And then you complained yeah. that I didn't fix it by I proof. So that yeah. helps. So we, we, have a, uh, we have like a mobile app for all the tenants that way they can use to submit all that and like also talk to the tenant, talk to the people they live with and everything. So we add them to like a company-wide Slack channel um, with okay. like all the, like with like pretty much everyone associated with the company that can get, get kind of crazy. But um, yeah, like a lot of it's like generally positive feedback, right? Like it's like, there's always lots of complaining from tenants, right? Which is like, the fact that there's like not that many with like almost 600 tenants, I think is always kind of crazy, but um, that's good. Yeah. You don't want to, that means the buildings, the properties are, you know, well-managed and well taken care of yeah. Then the less issues you have. If you had no issues throughout the whole year, it actually makes yeah. me wonder, is there something going on? I don't know about because yeah. you had no issues. There is. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's, there's at least one every like couple of weeks. Right. But there's like mm -hmm. a lot of tenants. So it's like, um, I don't think it's actually that many compared to like what I would expect. Yeah, um, that's good. Like, you, my personal properties, I get pinged like a lot, right? So yeah, um, but maybe I'm not the best at maybe home is probably better at fixing them than I personally am. So yeah, yeah. And before we wrap up, too, is there any like, for example, you have co living? There's Airbnb. There's you know like just you know traditional rentals. Why do you find co living that you know like why jump into co living versus why not jump into Airbnb? Style homes. Yeah, so, I mean, I've been an Airbnb host for maybe seven years, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know mm -hmm. if it's like an either or type thing. Like, mm -hmm. um, I think one thing is like um, just finding affordable housing on Airbnb can be like very difficult, right? Um, also, like the management fees and management of Airbnb is so, like a lot of work, right? So like um, people don't really use it for booking longer term leases, right? So you have mm -hmm. to basically just get a lot of people in and out, and um, that can cause potential damage issues. It can cause like just a lot of maintenance management work, right? Like. Picasso and the competitors charge about 30, 35 plus percent sometimes. So like that can always be pretty hard. Um, well, we just try to have like a really stable level of income per room, right? But also more than just normal single family rentals, right? So it's kind of like this in-between area where you have like the returns like an Airbnb, um, but the management like a single family rental, right? So um, it's kind of the like in-between point we try to offer. Um, so you get like a little bit best of both worlds there. Nice. I like that because, yeah, there's no right or wrong. And it just 
depends on active levels and performance levels and which one makes the most sense, you know, yeah. and then seeing it because, yeah, I have friends who do Airbnb. They're, make, they're making great numbers, but I'm like, but you're flying back and forth. You're looking at things. You're talking and doing a lot more active work because you have a way faster turnover and a more risk in your area, depending on which you buy versus a yeah. co-living. Okay. You have this less risk, but your numbers might be yeah. similar. It just depends. And yeah. then you have your own standard leasing where you're actively doing it. Or a property yeah. manager, and just all comparative yeah. relative to what they want, and it's. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I love Airbnb, right? Like, I rented out an extra bedroom here for years. I was a super host for a while. Like, I'm like a nice. huge investor in the company personally. So, um, yeah, because I worked there for maybe yeah, about over two years, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think the vision that they're trying to do is just make it super easy to just like travel anywhere and live everywhere. Like, I've stayed mm -hmm. in some of like the best Airbnbs around the world. Like, I just wish that we could like have that type of similar experience more longer term stays right i think that's what we're seeing is like a society being able to work from anywhere live every, everywhere um and like airbnb is okay for it right but like i don't know like i feel like co-living would theoretically be better and cheaper from like the tenant side of things as well yeah. um like i want to go to paris and stay a month right like airbnb is going to be absurdly expensive eventually like we're, we're not in any of these places yet but eventually like once something like home room i can just like quickly transfer my lease and just live there as well so I like that. I think I think so too because yeah, nowadays you can travel and work anywhere. Great. I live in the I live in San Francisco, but I can work anywhere. Okay, I would love to live in Paris for a month. Love to live in London and keep going around the world and having my lease be transferable, having the rates pretty similar, and I have even like setups where I go in, I know what I'm getting. I'm working with this company in like homeroom. I know what I'm kind of getting myself into for each place, and it's easy. And I don't have to reset up my payments every single time. I have one platform to do all this work. It feels like a long-term Airbnb. Yeah, at a better rate. Yeah, yeah. Like I think it's like the better rates. I think a key one, right? Because like you try to do it on Airbnb right now, it's just like I mean, you definitely can, right? It's just pretty expensive. So. I was trying to be able to figure out, okay, how can we get some of those costs down? I think it's like kind of the main thing, right? Like, like you can't find a room in Kansas city for less than like, I think it was like 600, 700 on Airbnb right now where it's like, well, we have tons for 400, not tons, like 20 or 30 still open, like a lot of houses there, most of full, but um, yeah, it's like still going to be like four or 50 ish. Right. So. Um. Cool. And then how do people learn more about homeroom? How do they learn more about investing with you guys and see the kind of, different uh values propositions and performance numbers that you guys are you know offering and yeah. you know go, go from there yeah feel free to just reach me reach out to me on linkedin definitely down to set up some time to talk um you can also just go to yeah livehomeroom.com slash invest and we have all the information like there so um nice and any final tips for people for 2022 regarding real estate investing or mo using modern technology to build their business yeah. Ah, not, not too much. Yeah, it's been super, super fun to talk to you about it. This is always great to learn more about what other people are doing in the, the real estate space. So, Cool. All right. Sounds good. Thank you guys so much for being on our show today. We'll see you guys next time on the Truth About Real Estate podcast. Um, have a great day.